The John of All Trades Podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, made Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 155. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And another episode from the Denver Film Festival, DFF40. What a great fest. They do a great job every year. Big thanks to Neil Trulio for setting me up with some truly fascinating and talented professionals. And in this case, episode 155... We've got Adam J. Minnick. He is a director of photography. He's worked on four films this year, three features, one short, none of which are out right now, but he was at Denver Film Fest as a juror. So I thought that was an interesting angle to take. What is it like being a juror and deciding who wins awards for the Film Fest? So we spend some time talking about that. We also talk about his role as director of photography on Actor Martinez. Actor Martinez came out at the 2016 Denver Film Fest and at the 2015 Denver Film Fest. I talked to that film's directors, Mike Ott and Nathan Silver, about the film that they were making at the time. And they were sort of winking and nodding about it. They're like, we can't tell you a lot about it. It's called Untitled Denver Project. And I thought, okay, that's weird. And then I saw the film and I go, I get why they couldn't talk about it. They probably didn't know the movie that they had at that time. And Adam talks about that too. And if you've seen Actor Martinez, and if you haven't, I highly suggest that you do, it's kind of a mindfuck. I'll just say that up front. It's kind of a mindfuck. You're like, what's real? What's not? What's scripted? What's sort of candid? You don't know. Who's playing who in this movie? As I talked to Adam about it, I said, have you ever had an experience like this? And he said, no. And it was intensely rewarding. And Adam is just listening to him talk. He's sort of a beautiful soul in that he can pinpoint the moment when he knew this is what he wanted to do, when he wanted to dedicate his life to images. And I'm not going to spoil the story because it's really quite gorgeous. And we talk about his approach and we talk about music and we talk about how too much craftsmanship is ultimately masturbation and not in service of the story. This is a fascinating chat and Adam is someone that I could talk to all night and all day about any number of subjects, and I'm just so thrilled that he's on the show. He's a lover of what he does. He's a lover of film, and he's just straight up an entertaining guy to talk with. I think you'll get a lot out of this episode, and I think you'll enjoy it intensely. So we'll get to that here in a minute. First, a quick plug for one of my fellow podcasts on the Denver Podcast Network. It's Real Nerds. We're talking about people who love film. That's me. That's Adam Minnick, my guest, and that's these guys who watch a new movie every week and then podcast their experience to the world. I'll let them tell you about it. Real Nerds Podcast. Every week, Denver's own Real Nerds Podcast sees a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. I think sometimes we're funny. Yeah, sometimes when I'm talking, not when you're talking, not when you're talking. You know, it might help if you told them that we're on iTunes or on Stitcher so they could find a place where you can actually listen to us. Oh, okay, Brad. We're also on Twitter, at Real Nerds, and we have an Instagram account. Boom. Commercial, Brad. Cut. Paste. Upload. We like to have fun. Sure. I like fun. James, you're very bad at improv. RealNerdsPodcast.com. 
You can find the Real Nerds Podcast, as well as all the other great shows under the Denver Podcast Network umbrella at denverpodcast.net. So please visit denverpodcast.net and support local shows in your community. All right, I'm going to stop talking because I'm still fighting illness. I was pretty sick when I interviewed Adam, but you know what? Got a little stage health and talking to a guy like this will just refresh you and make you feel good. So I hope you get out of that. The same thing that I did. Episode 155 is Adam J. Minnick. He's a director of photography. He was a juror at Denver Film Fest 40, and his episode starts right now. Britta and Britt and all the, like, yeah. Matt Campbell and all those guys, like, were just good buddies. Like, they were so behind a film I shot, yeah. uh, Actor Martinez. Yeah. And they, they they welcomed me with such open arms to come as a juror because, like, oh, nice. I wasn't here with a film this year. So. Oh, so you were here as a juror? I was here as a juror. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, right. I was, a, I was uh, on the shorts jury with two amazing girls, um, nice. Mallory and Christine. Who were amazing, and we had a we just had a blast. So I, I watched 29, 29 shorts. Okay, uh, in the last three days. Wow, uh, a lot of fucking movies. And, that is. But no, it's great. Uh, we we had a. That, I think that was my favorite part. Is just like the camaraderie with like the fellow filmmakers and festival goer, like festival like leads and stuff. And yeah. I mean, it's. I think that's the thing with all festivals. The networking and like what you you meet new directors to, that you could potentially work with or you could care about their stories. And right. Like, and you know, I'm a DP, so it it kind of matters to me. Like, if I see something that is m- part of my vision, you know, uh-huh. I, I, I always respond to the production side of films, and so I think that's a, a smart. Uh, a smart thing to include in a jury because it's it reminds the other people who just look at story yeah. that there's like this production value as well like uh, uh, and maybe that's my maybe part of my downfall because I look more at that but I think it's a, a valuable thing so yeah I think the best thing about this festival has been that experience with like talking about films yeah. seeing so many films and and uh, and respecting each other as filmmakers or programmers i no, i think you're right on the money there because one of the reasons i love doing this and doing shows from here is that i get exposure to films i maybe otherwise wouldn't have seen or had exposure to for instance uh i I remember last year i saw uh what was it folk hero and funny guy right and so it's like this small indie comedy it was really funny um and then this year i saw gnaw you know that had kyle gas in it And I'm not like a big horror guy, but right. like I enjoyed that too. Right. Um, and there's all these like documentaries and shorts and uh, you go, there's so much out there. There's like a very narrow slice of mainstream culture. And then there's so much going on that inspires you in so many different ways, which is really, really fun. So that's true. Yeah. And speaking of Na, I mean, uh, we worked with, uh, the director of Na. Do you know, do you know, uh, Halar? Halar, yeah. yeah. He, he worked on a short film that Pat- Patrick Hackett directed a short film that I shot in April. Uh huh. And Halar gave his like fucking beautiful sixties Mustang or car, whatever, like right. his beautiful like car to the film. And, uh, I saw Na then during its, uh, Denver premiere. Okay. So nice. we, we happened to be in production and they had the Denver premiere at the theater. I don't I can't remember the theater name, but in, right. and it was, it was fun. It was a fun film. And like they kind of killed it. Like the, I thought the third act of that film was like so strong. Like it's yeah. like with the microwave, like the, like the yeah. effects and all this stuff. It was killer. Yeah. Well, and like what's funny in that movie is there's all this like very subtle foreshadowing mm-hmm. um, in terms of the microwave, like with the uh, with the waitress and stuff. Right. And you go like it, it almost rewards a rewatch, which uh, I think so. Yeah. Which is interesting. So yeah. anyway, this is uh, Adam J. Minnick and you are a director of photography, also a juror here at Denver Film Fest. 
I think the jury is something that people always forget about when it comes to film festivals. But you told me a little bit about what that process is like. You watched 29 films over three days. Were you watching them theatrically? Were you watching them at home? How did that process unfold? Yeah, yeah Denver Denver does it a little differently. I've been on juries before where they give you screeners, but Denver does not do that. They 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 have a jury screening. So oh, really? We were at the pavilions. We were at the SIE, the, si, the C Yeah, the Film C Center. Film Center. Uh, and uh, just the three of us, the three jurors in the theater by ourselves, like sprawling out beautifully. Wow. It's like a dream come true. And watching <laughs> amazing films, like 10 films at a time, like like we had we had uh, yesterday two blocks of films. We watched out of the twenty nine, we watched nineteen of them yesterday. Oh my god! Yeah. So we did a five, and then a nineteen, and then a five. Wow, yeah. that's uh, that's a long day. And I think the only other thing that I can compare to three entities in a theater watching a movie is Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Right? Damn right, <laughs> damn right, bro. Yeah, love that shit. Oh yeah. god, so funny. Yeah. You are best known probably as a DP though. No, I'm a yeah, I'm a director of photography. Yeah, so. Yeah. I, Director of photography. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that uh, I know you from, uh, probably most prominently, is Actor Martinez. Mm-hmm. We talked about that a little bit before we were on mic. And two years ago, I interviewed the, the co-directors of that, Mike Ott and Nathan Silver. And they were sort of alluding to it. And they didn't want to give me too many details. I haven't gone back and listened to that episode, but I'd like to now. Now I understand why, after having seen it. Absolutely. That's one of those movies you really sort of almost need to go into cold. Because... It's so meta, and it it takes. I don't think you can untangle it, even if you wanted to. But with a project like that, it strikes me because Ott and Silver are on camera a bunch that the role of the DP is almost even more important in a film like that. Is that fair to say? I, I would say one hundred percent. Yeah, and and they acknowledge, they acknowledge that very very much. Uh, the three of us during production, uh, we didn't know what movie we had. Okay. At all, and so as things unfolded in front of the camera. We would adjust daily. Uh, at night, we would meet. We'd probably, we had a lot. We had a lot of drinks. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest. And <laughs> it was it was a very harrowing process. Like where uh, we we shot almost two hundred hours of footage. Oh my god! For a seventy one minute film. Yeah. Uh, in the end, so there are probably 50, 50 different films in that movie. Like in that edit. Like if you wanted to, you oh, could wow. make fifty different films out of that. Okay. It's crazy. I mean. Uh, it was the pleasure, like one of the pleasures of my career, uh, meeting those two. I'll be honest, because yeah. I had worked with one, a singular director, Joel Petrikas, before that. Uh-huh. And uh, when I got the call from these guys, it was kind of an emergency situation where the DP had left the film a week, about a week before production. Okay. Um, so, so the director of photography left to do Nam Night Shyamalan's movie Split, right, which right. came out last year. With, uh, that was like James McAvoy, right? McAvoy, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. With all the personalities. I never saw it, but I... It's might, beautiful. I have two kids, yeah. three and under, so right. I don't see a ton of stuff. Right. I, I mean, the, the the cinematography... From a cinematographer standpoint, gotcha. he... You know, he bumped up like, into that world, and he's actually shooting the, the sequel right now. Oh, nice. As we right. talk right now. <laughs> so yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I was called to do this film. I didn't know these guys. I did not know Mike and Nathan mm-hmm. at all. So I land in Denver, and I meet these guys, and they were so, like, ecstatic. Because we, we had, we had like, a two-hour conversation on the phone where we talked about what we wanted to accomplish with this film, what uh-huh. they wanted to accomplish, and I was the right fit. I mean, they had talked to a couple people, and I was the right fit, apparently. And we talked about... 
these hybrid films called like like from 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 like these Iranian films. One one one's Abbas Karastami's Close Up, which is okay. amazing. We talked about Robert Altman. Yeah. We talked about uh, Kieslowski, like the Polish director. Like all these like ways we w- would l- like to approach the camera for this, and they hired me like on the spot uh-huh. after two hours, and I was so fortunate because they they knew Joel Petrikas, the director mm-hmm. I work with, and they called him and asked if I was available. So. Back to your original question, though. What was the original? I don't even know. Oh, okay. and like you, you're talking about you, Nathan and Mike. So. Well, you telling this story uh, right. is fascinating to me because one of the things that they said in our conversation was, our crew said that they and maybe he's quoting you. I don't know. Maybe you can verify this. Sure. That they'd never had more fun making a movie. That's absolutely true. And what we, was it about making this movie that was so fun? I think it was like because we didn't have something to stick to and like this, we didn't have an agenda. It was like. The, the, I guess the agenda was finishing a film. Okay. And we didn't know what we were going to get. I had no idea who Arthur was. I just knew the words that Nathan and Mike had told me about this guy. Okay. They were fascinated with. And he's a, he's a local Denver native, you know? Yeah, he's, yeah. Right. He's, and he's a fixture here. I mean, right. You know, and he's been, and since, since this film, he's done amazing things. I mean, he won the indie, uh, indie wire top 10 actors to watch at Tribeca. Like, I mean, wow. it was crazy. Like, so he kind of blew up after this film, but, I knew nothing about him when we, we went in to shoot this, and I knew very little about um, Nathan and Mike other than, than their work. I had seen both of their work, yeah. um, which, which is important. I mean, I kind of understood their stylistic approach, which are vastly different. Mm-hmm. So I had to find a medium, uh, like, like a, a medium, like a, like a middle ground for how to approach something so like spectacular, so, so spectacularly glorious as like Mike Ott's cinematographer's work. Hmm. Uh, Mike Giolakis, who we talked about earlier, it's always beautiful. He wins best cinematography at every festival he goes to. It's like beautiful. And Nathan is Nathan on the other, on the other side of things. It's like this, like kind of gritty, like New York handheld, like awesome, like, like this, like vibrant fucking camera that is such a character in his films. And, uh, so we found a middle ground, which is so crazy because half of the film is like this beautiful, yeah, lit, glorious, slow narrative thing, and like slow pans yeah. and slow zooms, sweeping shots and zooms. And, and zooms too. Right, right. Um, and and the other part of it's like this, like after we call cut, this gritty like real life shit, like, like yeah. that, that goes on between takes, and and I think that that's that is the 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 fucking heart and soul of this right. film, you know. And uh, so it was a pleasure to be. They 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 gave me a very very long leash. I had no, mm, I mean, nice. it, they, they just let me do my thing and it was a beautiful collaboration between the three of us. Well, I, to your point, when you're watching it, there's parts of it that feel like, uh, like the camera is like Mike Wallace from fucking 60 minutes. Right. And you know, you've got, yeah, you've got the actor framed, like their heads cut off. Yeah. So it looks like they're trapped. Yeah. Um, and so from a technique standpoint, I mean, that's fascinating. You get to do both. I mean, how often do you get to do both? You don't. And that's the only film I've, I've shot seven features now. Yeah, uh, that's my third, and that—that's the only time I've got to have <laughs> that kind of freedom, and it was such a fucking pleasure. Yeah, I, mean, I love, and and I'll, I'll repeat this because you and I were talking before we were on mic, but I love those two so much, and for I think we had a very special thing that we cannot. I think none of us can define it. Like we mm. when we when the three of us are together, we. We we put a drink up in the air and say we just fucking made that. I mean, it's, huh. it's crazy. It's wow. a crazy thing, man. Well, that's magic. I yeah. mean, that's that's what you hope for with no matter what you work on, what no matter what industry you're in. Yeah. If you can get chemistry like that, that I, I mean, that's like ninety percent of it right there. 
as I was watching this film again, because I watched it again this morning, because yeah. I saw it uh, a year ago. Okay. And I'm sorry we're talking about a project that's like a year no, old. But fine. as I was watching it, I remember thinking, this has got to be an unusual challenge from a photography standpoint. Because... There are shots with like the clap uh, with the marker in it, and then like sometimes the boom mic comes in and stuff. So I mean, to the extent that the audience is disoriented and doesn't know what's real with Arthur and doesn't and isn't sure if he knows what's real, how do you, as director of photography, keep it straight as to like where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do, what's real and what's not? That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you right now, I hadn't, uh, and I'll repeat this, mm-hmm. I had no idea what movie was going to happen in the edit. So when I saw the edit. How was that possible though? Like, well, cause we shot, so we shot, so we, we treated it like a documentary. Okay. Which is tons of footage and you make a film you in the edit, right? Right. Okay. So yeah. Nathan and Mike, they created this story through their direction mm-hmm. and not knowing where we were going to go each day. Every day was a response to the previous day. Mm. So whatever we got the previous day, that was the new story. Like if, if, if there was something interesting, if there was not, we would avoid yeah. what was the previous day or we would go with what was happening. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is whatever Arthur kind of responded to and, and whatever happened on camera and what we had footage wise, we would go with to make a, make a narrative happen. Wow. It was in it was, So it's, it is very much a hybrid film in the, in the production sense where it is part documentary, part narrative, because yeah. it was directed, but Arthur didn't know where it was going. But we responded to Arthur, so it was like it was a feeding off of each other without knowing it. Jesus. He didn't know it. It was insane. Yeah. Um, from a photography standpoint, we they would call cut, and we just keep rolling. Huh. I'll be honest. We would shoot ten hours a day because they would call cut. Yeah. And I would keep rolling. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I follow. They thought that that everything was cut, like all the actors. In the film, like, oh, okay. other than Lindsay, maybe Lindsay. Lindsay knew a lot. You know, Lindsay knew what was going on yeah, at sure. times. But there were even times when she didn't know we were we were rolling, and we would just continue rolling. And uh, I'm talking about like even when Arthur went into the bathroom to take a piss, right? He's still mic'd. Oh wow! And there's like shit he's saying to himself about the filmmakers and like yeah. And it's not in the film, but uh, it, you know, if if I was but it exists, film, yeah. Oh, you know, it's out there. It's amazing. I mean, we have two almost 200 hours. It's 180 hours. Jesus. I, and what strikes me is that you cannot make a film like this like 20 years ago if you're shooting all on film. On film, sure. Because, I mean, it would be cost prohibitive. So this is a case where technology, you know, you'll hear people like Tarantino who only shoots on film, right? right? Yes. Uh, sort of bemoan digital. But you cannot make a movie like this if you're using old technology and just film. So, I mean, that's certainly a check in the box toward progress in terms of moving towards digital because you can shoot this for a cost that... Uh, is what nominally more expensive? I agree with you 100. Uh, percent I am a film guy. I right. love shooting on film. Well, I shot course. a feature on film this summer. I mean, it's my favorite thing in the world. If I could, I would shoot everything on film. But guess what? You're right. Actor Martinez is the one exception. I talk about that all the time. There's no way I could have done this on film. Yeah. No. You, you do a mag. You do a magazine change every 11 minutes or whatever. I mean, it's insane. You cannot yeah. do it with Actor Martinez. There are fucking hour-long takes, you know, and like we and that we that are in the film, like a little portion of that, that would not have happened. We would have missed it. I mean, you, there's no way all those table readings, like the, yeah. like the, the, the table sessions with the, with the directors that like you were talking about earlier, Nathan and Mike are in yeah. the film. All those table sessions were at least an hour and a half long. And Jesus. they make this, the, 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 their appearances through the film, uh, throughout the film. It's, it's a beautiful part of that movie that wouldn't, we would have missed so many moments. Yeah. 
it's fascinating to me. And I, I suppose if I frame this correctly in my head, there are times I work like my day job is in public relations. And a lot of times I'll get parachuted into a new client and I won't know what's going on. Um, there, you know, there are things going on. There are things I don't know. There are things that other people know that others don't. So there's, and I'm being sort of obscure about this, but it's a way of saying that hearing you describe it, it feels unlike any other film I've ever heard described. And if you're a film fan, you know, you'll dig in, you'll go into the making of feature ad or, you know, listen to director's commentary or whatever. I've never heard it described this way. Oh, like, like not, not once in, that I can recall. But I don't think that's as unusual as I'm making it out to be because that's, I deal with uncertainty all the time in my job. And I think a lot of people, if you're in a dynamic industry, deal with that too. But when we think of something that we use almost for escapism, it, it feels almost more harrowing in that way. Absolutely. I don't know. It's kind of strange, man. I feel like um, I feel like that. My job is to respond every day on set. Okay. We can, you can go in with a plan, right? Anytime, and uh, most of the time we crumple up the paper and throw it over our shoulders. Interesting. You know? Like it, it's, it's it is interesting, and it, it's it's a very responsive. And and you were just speaking to that. Uh, it's a very responsive industry. Uh, storytelling is a an amazing thing, and what it, what lands on the screen, what stays on the screen forever is what the decisions we made that day. Yeah. Those were the decisions we made that day. And sometimes you question them, and sometimes you're like, where the fuck was I? How did, yeah. I get to, how did we get to that point together? It's so right. beautiful, you know? And, and that's what I am so excited about. Like, I never for one day take for granted my position as a director of photography. Sure. I have these amazing crew members on our, like, that work with me constantly, and uh, we, I get to make images every day yeah. on set and I get to capture that moment how and it is the moment that will be seen by a lot of people because mm-hmm. I work with directors whose films are seen and it's amazing yeah. to me and uh, it's a very responsive art form and you have to have that personality type you have to be able to go with the flow and change your plan uh, you can plan all you want and you know what a lot of those plans do make the film but uh, I think the response to the moment is what gives you the soul of the film yeah. and the story. Yeah. I interviewed a film trailer editor, and so he works a lot with Sony and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like he makes mostly like the 30-second spots that air on TV. He, right. he doesn't do like full-length trailers. But one of the things that he said, and my understanding is this is, a, this is a fairly common axiom when it comes to filmmaking, it's that a film is written three times, right? Once when you write it, once when you shoot it, once when you edit it. Exactly. And so as the director of photography, how involved are you in shaping that narrative? Because obviously you're going to be responsible for the visual portion of it. And how much does that enter your mind when you're approaching a project? I think it enters my mind 100%. I try as hard as I can as a DP to edit the film in the camera. Oh, interesting. And okay. I, do, I do very little coverage. So uh, people who hire me know that I'm a DP who's known for like long takes. Okay. Uh, we're not going to do like mediums, close-ups, like masters, like all these like... You're wide. not going to be like Kubrick, right? No. Where, where you're doing no. like take after take after take after take? No, no. We'll do a lot of takes, but, okay. it, but it will be this, it'll, be the, it'll, be one, it'll be one shot. Okay. So shot list-wise, I'm talking about like... So when, we, when I talked to... Um, I, I did recently a film uh, called Change for Life with Aaron Schimberg, an di- amazing director out of New York, and we shot it on Super 16, and we knew that we were going to do very long 
like kind of 1940s and also 1970s and Altman style kind of like long dolly takes. Nice. Literally an entire day would be dedicated to one shot. Oh my. Like 16 pages of dialogue in one sh- fucking 10 minute shot that would never cut. And it's, you're talking about like going through a, like a, like a garden, like a, an, an exterior garden and the dolly's moving for like 50 feet and, wow. and the dialogue is insane. And like this camera becomes part of the character and like, it's one take. So we do like 13 takes of that and that's their day. That's a real fucking high wire act. Then, it's a high it? wire act. You, and, and we don't know what we have because we can't watch it back yeah. until we get our, <laughs> until we get our dailies. So when we got our dailies, there's this beautiful thing in the end that we right. got. And, uh, I'm so proud of that film, like for example, but, but I, I approach, I, I try to approach every scene to a movie with as little coverage as possible. Cause like mm. if you, if you can say it in a singular shot why not right what's the point like if, if you're asking yourself why is it cutting why do, why am i going in why am i like if you have to force feed the audience with like okay i have to feel closer to this character because i'm putting the camera up in that person's face right okay that is something and that there's a spot for that there's a place for that in cinema and we do it all the time but if you don't have to do that and if you can make that in one singular take like why would you not because mm. i feel like that's more cinematic that's interesting Technique-wise, I, I started a website called the Crew Jones Society, and this is campy 80s movie called Rad. I don't know. If oh, you're of course, the, the BMX. Yeah, yeah, yeah Crew Jones. Of course. Crew. Um, so the uh, the director was Hal Needham. Yes, and he also did like Cannibal Run and stuff. Right. Um, and I interviewed Bill Allen at one point, who starred as Crew Jones, and he said Hal's style of filmmaking was set up as many cameras as possible, and just let the action unfold in front of it. Interesting. So. You want to get you. You want these guys to be like in a bike race, yeah. and so if you're shooting action, that approach makes sense to me. It's always interesting to to hear the differences in approach and hearing yours. As much as you can, it's almost like you're filming a stage play to, to that end. I agree with you because uh, honestly, it's interesting. You said it's interesting that you said stage play because theatrical is the word I've been looking at like this year with like the the films I've been watching, like the cuts that I get from the directors I've been working with. Of the features we shot, I shot uh, three features this year and a short film. So I've done I've done four films this year, and it's, mm-hmm. it's a it's a very that's a very tall order. For, yeah, that's a big slate. It was before July, all by July. Jeez. Yeah, okay. So uh, I took the fall. I'm taking the fall off. Oh, good yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah I just am exhausted from it, and I'm still watching like cuts and. But theatrical, the, the word theatrical comes up a lot when I describe what these look like. And you're right. right. So you are onto something with that long take kind of sensibility. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Uh, to speak to the rad movie, like with right. a lot of cameras, like uh, several cameras and one, that's a really smart way to shoot. If you're going to do like a, a concert or, uh, you know, performance of some sort, I mean, you got to do that, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a one, you have to capture that one moment yeah. and be able to have choices in the editing room between right. cut, like to cut to certain things to feed your audience what mm-hmm. matters, right? And I think that we're taking a very big risk as filmmakers. The directors who trust me with their image who uh, who trust the idea of, like, let's do it in one with no cuts, mm. it leaves them no choices in the edit. And yeah. that's, that's fucking dangerous. Like you said, it's a tight wire. That's ballsy. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's a bold choice. Yeah. But it sounds like you are always conscientious about being a steward of that vision in that way. I have to be. Yeah. I, I mean, that's and that sounds like a choice that you've made in your approach yeah. where, where you don't leave yourself any outs. And again, it's a high wire act. But if you're conscientious about it, then you become very intentional. And 
I would argue if you're being intentional and not sort of accidental about it, then, I mean, again, directors know what they're getting into. But a question I have for you is, as a DP, and, I mean, knowing your style, I suspect I know how you're going to answer, but I'm not going to speculate. How active are you in the editing room? I, for people who don't understand how the filmmaking process works, how much is a DP involved in the edit process? Usually very little. Uh, I, I usually see a cut. I see like a first or second generation cut. Um, I asked recently to be the last eyes uh, with the last two directors I work with. I want to be the la- I want to see the last. I want to see the last cut that they've made after all of the notes. Mm. So I can have input at the very end because I know from my experience seeing my films on the big screen, all I see are a series of problems. Okay. Technically, I see. Uh, I think about takes that we had that were probably, in my in my opinion, uh, a stronger story, like piece. Like tell tell the story in a stronger way. Absolutely. Okay. No question. No question. So so I look at every film as. Like, okay, this is what not to do next time. Wow. Or, but I know, and it's sad because I, I'm, I'm one of those, like, I think a DP or any crew member is this, is, this is what people don't understand about movies. We never get to experience the movie that the audience gets to experience. Mm. As a narrative or as a documentary, we experience it as our experience on set. Right. And you're talking specifically about films that you've been involved in. Every film I've been involved in. Okay. I'm only talking about that. Okay, right. The films I'm not involved in, I can totally just get behind and like understand. You can just turn it off and escape? Well, I always look at their approach to camera, well, which sure. is a, is a, it, I, I, my, my problem is I look at corners and edges of, of frames. I never look at the center of the frame. Oh, wow. I, I'm always paying attention to the movement. I'm always paying attention to things that no one else would care about, but I care about because I want to know about craftsmanship. Okay. I want, because as a DP, you are both a technician and an artist. It's like, it's the craziest oh, world yeah. to live within. You have to know what you're doing to expose properly. You have to know, what you want to do with like depth of field, like you know, like lens choice. I always, I always look at that. Like even like mm. the biggest films, like Blade Runner, like the mm. new Blade Runner. I'm like watching, like okay, why did Deacons choose this lens for that scene? And I understand it or I don't, you know. Okay. And I try to learn from it. And I and I, I I look for errors. Like I look for little movements that are non intentional because as an operator, I'm trying to get to be perfect right. and I'll never achieve it. But I always look at the masters to try to achieve. Right. And, and you know what? I see their errors as well. That's funny. It's amazing. And, uh, what, uh, so when you're looking at, at corners or edges, yeah. I mean, hearing you say that uh, is interesting to me because I love digging into sort of the minute of I'm John of all trades for God's sakes. What are you looking for when you're looking at corners and edges? I'm looking at framing. Okay. Uh, so when I look at framing, even if it's like in response to something that's going on, uh, I think that every, even every narrative, not a documentary necessarily, like even a narrative, I'm constantly responding to what the actor is doing differently each take. So okay. even though there are marks and there are things that they're supposed to, there, there are parts they're supposed to hit, they're going to find their light. Uh, you know, we, we, we take great care to, the, to put our light in certain places and the actors don't always hit it. So you respond as a cameraman to try to make the most of what they give you because you know that's going to be the take that's in the film. So right. I'm constantly adjusting with movement, uh, but I have to remember why I'm moving the camera if I am. Okay. So I, I'm a big fan of like motivated lighting and motivated movement, uh, which means, for anyone listening, if you are in a, in a bedroom with a window, the light should feel like it's coming from that window, like the sunlight if it's during the day. You know? Right, sure. Uh, and, and it shouldn't feel like a studio 
like three point lighting situation. You'll never see three point lighting in my films. Like as three point lighting. Oh, three point lighting. Uh, there's a key. There's a fill. And there's a backlight. Okay. And three point lighting is a studio lighting for like photography. It's always like a rim on your hair. Oh right. And then there's okay. like a key, a hot, a hot light on you. That's like your main light source. And then a fill that like tries to adjust the 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 key light to, to kind of fill it out like to a proper ratio, which is very studio looking. Every nineties okay. film you can think of looks like that. I mean, it's, it's just something that you won't see in one of my films. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, right. That's a, that's a very technical, uh, explanation. No, that's great. But, uh, uh well, that's, that's a simplification of it, but I like to, I like to, you know, I'm looking at you right now and I can see the ratio on your face is probably four to one. Like, so there's a, there's a, there's light coming in from windows and you're on your left side uh-huh. and your shadow side has no fill. Okay. It's just the bounce off this white wall. So yeah, the white wall right. is giving you some fill, that, some natural fill, and there's about a, it's about a three or four to one on your face right now. Interesting. Which means four times as, my, as much light on your left side as your right side. Okay. And that's the, the I, I, every, every day, every situation, I mean, I'm looking at lighting situations and trying to understand how I could use that in a film. Or, uh, and I, actually, your, your nose lighting, it's like diffused. It's, it, your nose shadow is diffused because it's bouncing off this white wall. Okay. It's very beautiful at this moment. Wow. So it would be actually a pretty decent camera position would be like, you know, from me over like five feet to my right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like if you're filming me, like if you were doing uh, a film or a documentary about me making this podcast. Right. Wow. So, uh, yeah. so you go for naturalistic lighting. And what you were talking about, three points of lighting. Yes. Um, that that lends almost uh, a sense of artifice to the experience. Is that fair? When to I say? look at it, when I see it on a, on a screen, it's like, oh, there we go again. It's <laughs> the same old fucking rehashed. And there's a reason for it because it's 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 pleasing to the eye. People okay. are used to. Well, I think it's pleasing to the eye because we're used to seeing it. It didn't have to be that way, but we came from a studio sensibility back in the day, like when like photography first started, like sure. before motion started, like in, in film, like you're doing everything you can to just get as much light in and, and, and then create this artifice of like this beautiful, the sense of like beautiful yeah. lighting, uh, like this Rembrandt style, you know, of lighting. And that is the answer. Like you do this, like you, you put a backlight. So there's separation between the top of your head and the back wall. Okay. Yeah. So you put a rim light on and you get, you have a key light, which is in every situation. We always have a key light, which if you're outside, it's the sun. Yeah. It's your key. Okay. And your fill is the other opposite side from the sun. Right. I got so it's, it's, it makes sense that humans, uh, came to that, uh, kind of de- like it was deduced to that. Like, you know, like that's what an image should look like. And, I try to expand on that as much as I can and, and embrace natural lighting as opposed to studio or fabricated lighting. Well, what's interesting about that to me is if, if you think about sort of the evolution of photography, it makes sense that it would get that way because people are trying to make it look as good as possible. Right. Because for a while, you know, you worked with what you could. There were technological limitations to that. Of course. And as that advanced, it's like, we can make this look better and better and better. And it's almost like going to art school or anything else. You have to learn all the forms yeah. uh, until you get to the point where you can consciously choose to subvert them. That's true. And that's almost exactly what you're describing, which is fascinating to me. Yeah. My, my favorite, my favorite guitarist in rock and roll is, uh, is David Gilmore. From okay. Pink Floyd. Yeah. And it's because exactly what you said, he could choose to shred any time. Like he could just, he could fucking, Eddie Van Halen versus Gilmore. Gilmore would just like throw Eddie Van Halen under the table if he wanted to. Or like, uh, who's that one guy? Like Yingri uh, Malmsteen. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like Gil- guy, who's looked at as like the technical master. Right. That Gilmore kind of thing. Is, has that ability, but guess what he shows is, what he shows is restraint. 
Mm, he plays the notes that matter. And it's like this simple, it's like this Occam's razor approach yeah. to, to life or to your art. And I, I totally subscribe to that. Every January, I watch a movie called, um, it's called End of the Century. So it's the documentary about the Ramones. Oh, nice. And I watch it every January at the beginning of my year to remind myself, this year, you're going to keep it simple. Nice. Those guys, they fucking knew how to make a Mozart masterpiece in a two-minute fucking punk song. Yeah. And it, they, they brought it down to the basics, and that shit lives, man. Oh, God. I mean, the Ramones are my heroes. Oh, they're fantastic. You know, my children listen to the Ramones, and like, they love them. And they, there's a reason that they love them, because they responded to... I've, I've shown them the Beatles. I've shown them all these great bands. Like, I mean, you know, Cat Stevens. Like, I mean, whatever. And like, the Ramones sticks out to them, because it's like this high energy, says it all in two minutes kind of yeah. thing, and it's done. Wow. I mean, who the fuck can do that? And if I can bring that to filmmaking, that's, yeah. that's my... That's my uh, hope and approach. You know? Wow. Yeah. That's a great approach. I mean, it, speaking of music, I have, I have two things that came to mind as you were talking about the Ramones. One, uh, this is one reason I never really got into Rush, is yeah. because when anyone would ever tell me like about Rush, they'd start talking about the complexity of Neil Peart's drumming. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't have that level of vocabulary when it comes to technical mastery of drumming. Like, is the song enjoyable or not? And in terms of Rush, there are varying degrees of enjoyment that I get from a Rush song, but I will never, ever love Rush because someone told me how fucking good he is at the drums. I don't care. And then I think about Jack White, and people love the White Stripes, and his other projects haven't resonated the way the White Stripes have. One of the theories that I've heard is that it's because Meg White is not the most technically gifted drummer there is, and... She's almost like giving him a box that he has to create uh, music in, and it, it gets him to a stripped down, almost like gets to the core of, of what people love about music much quicker than anything else he's worked on. Yes. Uh, let's speak to Rush first. Uh, there's a, I, I'm with you on that. Okay. Uh, and Neil Peart is obviously everyone's awed by his technique. Oh, yeah. You've seen the documentary, I'm sure. You've seen like like performances on, on, on film of, of Rush and they are prodigies. And that is like, that is a different approach than I take. It's like, I, I don't want to be like, this is not to beat up Rush. I mean, like, fuck right. it, Rush is amazing, whatever. Like, I'm not a fan either. And, but, and they've earned right, every they've earned, inch of a claim yeah, that they've but, got. But it's, to me, it's like, it's jacking off. <laughs> right. It is. I mean, yeah, it's at like, some point hey, look, look what, look what we can do. Right. And, you know, yes, there's there are some amazing Rush songs that I just fucking love. Like, I mean, sure. it's, it's, I can't believe they exist. You know, it's amazing. But to me, I will take, I'll take the fucking Sex Pistols. I'll mm. take like, 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 or the Ramones that we talked about. I'll take like Nirvana. You know, like, oh sure, like, like just like the simplified, like, like pared down version of what gets to your core, and it speaks. I think more so because you're not distracted by the, all these like technical little things. And you talked about Jack White. Uh, yeah, Meg, Meg is a, uh, not metronome perfect drummer. Right. Uh, as everyone says and like, you know, whatever. But yeah, I think you're right. She helped create a boundary. And why not set limitations? Yeah. Right? I mean, like we're talking about the Ramones, they set limitations for themselves. It's going to be two minutes or less. It's right. going to be like two and a half minutes. It's going to be, Eighth chord, eight, eight, eighth notes, downstroke, fucking power chords. It's going to be the most amazing melody you've ever heard. And those are, I mean, when you work within confines, you find a way to be more exploratory. It's so right. amazing. I mean, I, the, the last two films I did had such a clear direction and such clear uh, camera approaches. I feel like 
finally, like, I, I've made some films and I've shot some films that have made me explore more solutions because of the limitations. Mm. It's not so freeing, you know. Yeah. Actor Martina was, was so freeing and it's this loose, beautiful thing that I will always be thankful for and change my life forever. But these new ones are so limited in what you can do, what you're allowed to do, that you find a way to try to break out of that box. Yeah. And stay, but you're still within those confines to keep people happy. And it's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Yeah. It, uh, it reminds me of, like, Twitter just increased its character limit right. uh, from 140 characters to 280 characters. Right. I think that's going to be to their detriment. Yeah. You know, people say, we actually want longer tweets. It's like, no, you fucking don't. Because part of the art of a really great tweet is functioning within those confines exactly and so no i think you're absolutely right i used to play racquetball too and racquetball is a weird fucking sport because it's you and another person in essentially a box and you have to try and score points on each other so it forces you to think in really unusual ways about this very limited data set so uh i i'm in full agreement with you when people have like and i think about this in terms of Another music example. How long did Axl Rose make fucking Chinese democracy, right? And, like, if you listen to that, you go, eh, it's, I mean, this is fine. Right. But, uh, yeah. and we waited forever for it. it was yeah. Like 12 years. How many years? It was, I don't 20 know. 20 years? 12 years? Uh, Christ, I don't even know. I mean, a decade, right? It was yeah, it was at least yeah. a decade. Yeah, right. And then it comes out, you're like, okay, he had all this fucking time. Oh. And this is what he came up with, rather than it's like, oh shit, like, uh, when you watch Saturday Night Live. That Lauren Michaels always says, and I've said this a billion times on the show, people are going to get tired of me saying it, but the show doesn't go on because it's ready. The show goes on because it's Saturday and it's 1135. Exactly. And so that forces you to make decisions where you otherwise wouldn't. And if you start dithering too much, then, yeah, the art is going to suffer, which, I mean, you're just reaffirming something that I already believed, but hearing it come from you in this field that I know not a lot about uh, is fascinating. So. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, like, when, when, when the director calls action, don't think that I, every time he calls action, don't have that chill in my spine that is reactive and, like, okay, this is what is going to be on screen. It's like the Saturday Night Live thing. Like, yeah. you know when they say, okay, it's go time, they know that they're, they're being watched. Oh, they're shitting their pants. And, yeah, sure. they're shit. I mean, but it's that energy. If, if you can react to that and make some beautiful art and... Uh, and, and help feed a story in some way. I think that's the beauty of this industry, man. Like, there's like this great collaboration of artists who are reacting to their time and their place yeah. at that time and place. It's great. Well, I taught public speaking for two years right. and I do media training for folks. I get them ready to talk to reporters, which for a lot of people is very harrowing. Like, sure. being the idea of being on the record. And again, for them, it's a real high wire act. And what I always tell people is, Nervousness is not a bad thing. You know what nervousness means? It means you want to do a good job. It, it means you want to rise to the occasion and, and you're worried that you're going to fall on your face. If you didn't give a shit, you wouldn't be nervous. And then nothing we do matters. So embrace that. Say, yeah, I'm nervous, but it means you want to do a good job. So Yeah. And I, I, heard, a, I heard an interview with Aretha Franklin. Lately. Oh, nice. All right. And she talked about, um, this is like in 2016. Okay. Like last year. That every time she goes on stage, right before, she's the most nervous person in the world. Huh. Aretha Franklin. Wow. Who everybody that you know and I know and all the millennials know as their, like, their musical heroes, hero. You know? mm-hmm. yeah, Aretha yeah. Franklin is the voice. You know? And before she goes on stage, she is so nervous. And she huh. said 
I know that I'm doing the wrong thing if that ever changes. Oh, wow. All right. If you're not nervous, then you're in the wrong spot. Yeah. No, when then, it's go time, right? Yeah, then so, you shouldn't be there. Yeah. You've alluded to, I mean, you, you did three projects this year already? Uh, I've done three features. In three one features. Short. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What is the status of those? So after you get done with your portion of it, yes. what unfolds for you uh, after that? So, okay. Well, the DP's job is to materialize the image from, from pre-production. You talk about shot listing. You talk about... Uh, sometimes you do storyboarding or whatever. Sure. Then you do the capture during production. So that's like they call action. You shoot the film. You 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 actually are recording the the the, the, the performances, and then then that wraps. And then the final piece of my puzzle is mm. the color. So I I just traveled to New York for eight days, uh, and I did color on for five for five of those eight days with um, Nat Jenks from Goldcrest uh, in New York. So the color, he's the colorist. So post-production, for a DP and the director, we sit in a theater. We look at all the color temperatures mm. that we captured, knowing what we had. We look at the final locked picture. Okay. Uh, which locked picture means it's edited. Yeah, yeah. The film is done. And only when the film is done, like, as an edit, do we go in and color correct it. Oh, okay. So the last two steps are sound and color, right? Yeah. So, and this is interesting maybe to someone who's listening because... That's not thought about a lot, but c- color is very important because daylight is much different than tungsten light, is much different from 12 o'clock p.m. to 2 o'clock p.m. when you're doing the same kind of scene, like that takes four hours, light changes. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'd never thought of that. The sun changes position. You're changing like color temperature as the sun like sinks, you know, whatever. Our job in the fucking coloring suite is to make the edit as clean as possible and believable so it, everything's cohesive. Ah, Right. Yeah. So if it's a if it's one single, like scene that took the entire day to shoot from noon to five. Right. You know the lights different. Right. Everyone knows the lights different. Sure. Noon to five. Like if you're at noon and you're at lunch and you're on your lunch hour and you go to lunch, you know what the light looks like. And then you're five on your way home. It's different. <laughs> but in a movie, it's very clear. Like if if you're trying to sell that this is like the same three minute space. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, you can't have different lighting. Like exactly. depending on what takes, yeah, you use exactly. So in this case, what you're going for is very strict verisimilitude. Sure. In that way, it, yeah. it's almost like you don't want the boom mic to show in the you know in the middle of a shot. Depend. I mean, provided we're not making actor Martinez here, you don't want the boom mic to pop in. You don't want people to be talking, and you know you're cutting between two yeah. different characters, and it's like, oh, that looks like noon. That looks like five. That looks like noon. Well, I mean, it's called continuity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so, and, and people are very aware of it, whether they they think so or not. Like, but it'd be like a subliminal thing, like, right. for someone when bad continuity happens, people understand it, but don't can't say the words, like, but they, but they're having a response, and that's yeah. what maybe would say, oh, that's a shitty movie, like, whatever. Right. Uh, it's this simple thing that, but to me, as a DP. It's like going in the dark room and printing your final photograph. Mm, um, okay. My favorite part is after we've captured and going to color this, and I'm deli- it's, it's giving the, the rest of the image its attention for final delivery, mm. right? So for when the, when the people in the festivals or in the theaters see our film, we have given it every... Uh, we've given our diligence, like, you know, we've done our due diligence to make a, a beautiful image or an appropriate image for the story for the people to be able to respond to what's going on on screen, not have to pay attention to the image. If my work as a cameraman and as a DP 
is goes unnoticed but can be accepted then I've done my job. Yeah. I don't want to be aware unless I'm supposed to be aware. People right. should not be like, oh, that's a camera move. <laughs> right? Yeah. It should be like, this This is so, it's like guiding our vision. It's like organic. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. It reminds me, I interviewed the public address announcer for the Colorado Rockies. He said, you are a part of the game experience. But people really only notice you if you fuck up. That's it. So. Exactly. So it, it's your job to, to yeah. not fuck up. You, you want to contribute to the overall experience, but you don't, you're more likely to detract from it. In, or people are more likely to notice if you've detracted from their experience than almost enhanced it. Right. Is that fair to say? So I mean, I 100 percent agree with you. I in mean, some ways, you're unsung. Then I think so, and I think it's better to be unsung. Okay. I feel like if if people can walk away and say that movie was amazing and they got the story, like what the director wanted on the screen, like I mean, I mean, uh, I guess less less of that. Let's let's go back. Uh, I think if people, the audience sees a film that I shot and they can come out of that theater and say that that compelled them in some way or it spoke to them and they understood what we were trying to communicate, yeah. it's a win. If and when they say, it also looked amazing. Mm. That's a huge compliment to me. But if they don't, if they, if they don't say it, it looked like shit. Mm. See, what if it looked like shit and got in the way of the story? Yeah. Because that, that would be a failure on my part. And no one should ever hire me if that's what's going on. You know, I mean... Yeah. Um, and looking like shit, by the way, uh, there are films that I love that look like shit. And they're supposed to look like shit. Well, sure. And it's this raw like approach to like the camera and like grittiness that is okay. But I think that people respond to that. I feel like what you what you're looking at is the most important thing. In a weird way, like why do we go sit in a dark room? Because hmm. we're looking at images on a screen while while sound is coming out, right? Like yeah. while people are talking and we're trying to absorb a story. But we have to understand the image. And what we're looking at to mm. kind of respond in a way. To your point, I think a good example of a film that by traditional metrics looks like shit would be Stinking Heaven, right? I mean, that's shot on Betacam, right. but that's the story that's being told. Right. It's almost like you, you, I think Nathan said, you almost want someone to feel like they found this footage, you know, in a box somewhere in someone's closet. Right. Like, and so to that end, it's servicing the story. But, you know, it's, it doesn't look like, Christ, I don't know. A Kubrick film. Or yeah, or Out of Africa, or, right. you know, of like, or Dances with Wolves, you know, some like sweeping epic. Like, right, and what if that, and, and what would that story even fucking mean if it did look like those? Right. Like, I and mean, so Adam made a great choice, Adam Ginsberg, who shot that, uh, because it's the appropriateness of the image. For exactly, the story. yeah. And I, I love that idea, and people don't understand it, but they do. That's the thing. They do understand it without understanding it. Like on and I know a, it's weird to say or hear, but. They're in the theater and they respond to the film because it looks like that. It feels like something and the story's there and it gives you a sense of that space mm-hmm. at that time and it's its own aesthetic, right? Yeah. And you walk out and you will remember that because you remember, like you're talking about, you, you brought up Sticking Heaven because you remember it looking like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's a thing that matters, you know? And yeah. I, no, I think people are responding to it almost on a subconscious level. I yeah. think you're, you're right about right. that. The only example I can think of, and this is a weird example, but um, John McTiernan directed Die Hard, right? And his director of photography on that was Jan de Bond. Right. Jan de Bond went on to make Speed and uh, I think Twister and uh, a number of other films. Do you have eyes on becoming a director? Never. I'm Never? A, I'm a cameraman. What? I'm a cameraman. It's, uh, I, I'm wary of absolutes, though. I, mean, I, I, I am absolute. I, I, I can honestly tell you I know my place. My, 
I have, since I was 13 years old, when I saw my first image pop up in the dark room, I knew that my place in life was to make images. Do you remember what that image was? Yes, it was a, a picture of a guy named Eric Nelson in front of a window. He was backlit, and it's a beautiful, and he had a rose. He was smelling a rose. And it's mm. like this like high school ver- or like middle school version of like what you think is art, you know? Like, right. It's like you put a flower in it, you put a, a, pr- a, a face with long hair, like hanging in his ha- face. But it's, it was a beautiful black and white image that I will never forget. And do you still have it? I do. I have a, Where I have, is it? I have an eight by ten. It's in my attic. Believe it or not, I don't have it out. But uh, I, now that you say it, I should probably find it and put it out. Yeah. I think because I think about it often. But it's it's my beginnings. Um, it's just like two thousand one, a space odyssey was my beginnings of seeing what motion could do mm. for photographers. I was such. I went to I went to college for photography. Uh, my BFA is in photography. Yeah. Stills photography. So From I shot Colorado State. Right? Colorado State University. Yeah, I'm a Ram too. So. Oh, nice. Well, yeah. cheers. Yeah. So, cheers to the Rams. Uh, so, uh, and uh, it's interesting because you move into the motion world and, and it's something I always wanted to do and thought I could maybe get into, but the opportunity presented itself with the film and it happened and it just took off. But back to your original question, which was? Eyes on being a director. Oh, yeah, I have no interest in, in, I think that my, my best place in this industry and in, in films is to tell the story with the image. And I am so honored to be able to do that. Like, it's not about writing, it's writing with a picture, right? In a way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, if I can, if my images can make people feel the appropriateness of, you know, like this connection between what they're looking at and the story. I think I've done my job, man. Wow. Yeah. I, and I, I just, I really am passionate about images and I always will be. Wow. Yeah. It's remarkable that you can pinpoint the moment. Not everyone can do that. That's right. But uh, the fact that you can, I think is really cool and a tribute to you and the fact that you seem to be in the right place. Yeah. So good for you, man. That's, that's something that I think is inspiring no matter who I talk to. When you talk to someone who, knows they're in the right place and is happy being in that place. So cheers. Yeah, cheers to that for sure. So, okay, uh, it's time to wrap up. Let's do some plugs. Where can people get in touch with you? Any projects you want to plug? Anything at all? The floor is yours. Next year in the festivals, you should look for Joel Petroikas' new film, Relaxer, and Aaron Schimberg's film, Chained for Life, which I shot. Uh, they will be in the festival circuit for sure. Uh, there's a short film from a Colorado guy named Patrick Hackett. Named, mm. It's called... Uh, it's called Help Wanted, starring Jim O'Hare, and we shot that in April in Denver. Uh, beautiful little short film. Really? Yeah. I interviewed Jim O'Hare last year. Oh, yeah. 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 W- w- when he was here for uh, Middleman. Middleman, yeah. Yeah. yeah he-, he starred in our film, and he was wonderful to work That's with. That's awesome. He's a beautiful man. Oh, he's yeah. just, he's a delight. What a great guy. Yeah. Uh, and a ball buster, too, which is funny. Totally. And he, yeah, it was great. This is a great little uh, anecdote, which doesn't matter, but uh, my first AC, his name is Calvin Sneed, and... Uh, Every time we would start rolling, Jim would always like, Adam, we all know you're uh, just calling it in Calvin. It's really Calvin in charge. It's like, <laughs> it's great. Like, you know, and he would just like do yeah. that to keep us on our fucking feet. And it was sure. good. And it, it yielded a really beautiful uh, kind of moment in film. That's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah. All right, Adam, this nice was a pleasure and uh, continued success to you, my man. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. Cheers. And we'll call cut on episode 155 of the John Ball Trades podcast with Adam J. Minnick. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your expertise, your experience, chatting about music. I adored getting to connect with you, and I'm just thrilled that you are a part of my Denver Film Fest 40 coverage. Check out all the Denver Film Fest 40 episodes on johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of alltrades.us. There's a tab on the top menu. 
Just click on podcast and you'll see all the episodes right there. Easy as can be. We're also on the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T-Pod. New episodes are teased only on Facebook on Mondays, and new episodes drop on Wednesdays. You can find them at iTunes, Stitcher, or the John of All Trades homepage. Some love to our sponsor, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Web hosting, website design, social media marketing, digital advertising, whatever you're doing in the online space, 4Degrees can help you do it better. They will get your message in front of the people who need to see it most. So go visit them on the web. Number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. John of All Trades Podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. And you know what? I'm out of here for now. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, crazy. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we We speak. speak.